From the Tulsa world, this is the OU Sports Extra Podcast, sponsored by Albert G's Barbecue. Here are your hosts, Eric Bailey and Mason Young. Mason, we're back again. Oklahoma, 8-2, and two, headed to BYU. They know what's in front of them. Uh, they really need to win out. And It's been a goofy week with the Big 12 providing a, and I'm doing air quotes for people again, see clarification of their tiebreaker scenarios. Uh, Oklahoma plays at BYU with just winning the most important thing. Uh, and uh, build some, they can build some momentum off last week's 59-20 to 20 win over West Virginia. Yeah, if you're an OU fan right now, uh, I know a lot of fans have been frustrated about the whole uh, Big 12 snafu, but really, more than anything, it's it's Kansas State's fans who should be mad, and I think they are, and rightfully so. The, the Big 12 tiebreaker rule was originally written to say that uh, the advantage in a three-way tie was going to be given to the team with you know, best cumulative winning percentage uh, head-to-head against other opponents. And so Kansas State, uh, you know, having beaten some of the teams that they have beaten that OU and OSU have lost to, uh, they were going to get the benefit of the doubt on that, and they were going to be in an advantageous position for that second spot in the Big 12 championship game. And now the the Big 12 has clarified the rule, saying it's not a change to the rule, Uh but they added an entire sentence to the rule, so I don't know. I don't know uh, how you can get away with saying that's not a change. To emphasize head-to-head, obviously OSU beat both OU and Kansas State in the regular season. There's no reason why Kansas State would get into the Big 12 championship game to face Texas over them. Big picture thing, right? For OU fans out there that are frustrated about this. You know, it just is what it is. OU put themselves in a really bad position. Brent Venables was talking about this earlier this week. He said, you know, we put ourselves in this position. Let's focus on the finish. We got to figure out what we got to do to win these last few games. And that's really all that matters because if you don't win those games, then it doesn't matter what dominoes may or may not fall. You're a three-loss team with no shot at going to Arlington in December. And that's correct. I mean, and so BYU this week, they have TCU next week at home on uh, Friday, a Friday morning game, 11 a.m. Uh, so that that was something. So you're right, just went out, and that's the thing. Everything has to take care of itself. They don't control their own destiny. Only Texas controls their own destiny. Texas wins out. They're in the championship game. The Longhorns play at Iowa State, and then they host Texas Tech on that same Friday that Oklahoma plays. So uh, the the big thing, a couple of big things about that is, you know, with if OU, everything happens this Saturday, the following Saturday, OU has the first game, and then they have a uh, just a weekend of waiting to see what the outcomes are, to see what they're going to do. So it's going to be a strange, strange weekend. OU at BYU, 11 a.m. Oklahoma time, 10 a.m. BYU time. Uh, Mike Howe, the Sports Information Director, said it was a 10.07 a.m. kick, which is the earliest known kickoff for an Oklahoma football game in uh, 19, in uh, 2001. The 2001 season, it might have been two, I think it was the one season, the Cotton Bowl, uh, the kickoff was uh, 10, 10 a.m. down in Texas. So 10, 07 a.m., early morning kick at BYU. This is a BYU team that's struggling right now, having a hard time putting the offense together. Honestly, you know, toward the back half of the season, I thought this would be Oklahoma's toughest game. I really thought it would be a night game, too, to set up something that would be really interesting for uh, Provo, but it turned out to be just quite the opposite, a 10 a.m. game, but it's going to be different for the players, you know, getting an hour earlier wake-up call, 
uh, hour hour earlier prep. Uh, so uh, what do you th- what do you make of the 10 a.m. kick local time for OU BYU? I think the good thing is, uh, and a lot of players said this when we asked them about it this week, right? Uh, they've had so many 11 a.m. kicks. Big 12 has just given them so many 11 a.m. kicks that, uh, you know, they're used to kind of playing in the morning. Brent Venables has said before that he feels like a lot of coaches and players would prefer to just play at the beginning of the day and get it over with and, and still have some of your evening, uh, whether to reflect or to remove yourself from it and just kind of chill. Uh, you know, so I, I think I think honestly, OU is probably better positioned for this than a lot of other teams. Um, you know, they they may be waking up, you know, a little bit earlier um, in the morning, but you know, it 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 doesn't take them long once they get out there to get heated up uh, because they've done it so many times. Twenty four point favorite, the Sooners are going to this game. It's one of the more lopsided Big Twelve lines that they've had all season so uh I, I really think for Oklahoma to have success they just have to do what they did against West Virginia get off to an early start get off to a big early start you know it was 31-7 before you, you you blinked against West Virginia last weekend so I think that's the key especially on the road but you know the issue with Oklahoma Mason is they haven't played well on the road in true road games you look at the Cincinnati game 20 to 6 uh, you look at Kansas, the 38-33 loss. You look at Oklahoma State, the 27-24 loss. Uh, close games, you know, Cincinnati was a two-touchdown game, but that was a close game all day. So I think that's one of the things they have to solve is playing well in a true road environment. Uh, those three games, they went one and two, and this is their third road game in four games. Uh, have to turn things around. They can't let things unravel early. They can't allow that BYU crowd to get into it. Uh, you know, they got to get to a fast start. I'm sure Brent Venables is telling his players all these same things. But for for whatever reason, Oklahoma's struggled. And it's it's never easy on the, to play on the road in college football. That That's a fact. But Oklahoma's really struggled on the road this season. I think we were – obviously, we were just talking about the uh, super early kickoff, the 10 a.m. local time. I think that is actually advantageous in this case because, as we've heard a lot this week and, and we kind of know from – from having, you know, been purveyors of college football, BYU's fans are crazy. I mean, they're nuts. And if you give them a night game and give give them an opportunity to, you know, imp- impose their will on you psychologically, uh, it can spell trouble for a lot of teams. So, you know, I think OU's honestly better off, you know, playing in the morning uh, this time around. And, yeah, to your point, um, you know, BYU has really, really struggled on offense this year and really just not a very good football team. Uh, but a, a major part of that is is for some games not having their their quarterback Keaton Slovis him being out injured. Uh, OU's preparing like he's going to be back this week, and think BYU expects to have him back. Will be interesting to see after a few games out how that uh, changes the dynamic of BYU's offense if they're any more uh, you know consistent, able to put up points um, than they have been with uh, you know their their backup. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is going to be one of those where it feels because of, of what BYU is on paper right now and how, um, not as good they've been this year compared to what we thought they might be. It feels like this game is going to be less likely to be the quote unquote trap game. Uh, but I, I think there's still, you know, every opportunity, uh, for, for BYU to, to put this OU team on the ropes or even upset them. And, you know, maybe having that that morning time and not allowing the fans to get into it, getting off to a fast start, as you said, um, helps kind of dissuade some of those concerns. Oklahoma is two and seven under 
Brent Venables in uh, one-score games. So that's something to remember. Again, you don't want to keep things close. Oklahoma's had a hard time finishing games off. So I think that's just a stat to remember out there. I'm not saying it's going to happen this weekend, but it's something that's happened. It's something that, you know, deserves to be talked about. Oklahoma, it, it gets a crunch time. They've struggled in close games. Mason, when we look at the offense, it's amazing how Jeff Levy can be really criticized one week and really praised the next week. I thought he probably had his best game as a as a as a play caller against West Virginia. Man, everything seemed to click, everything seemed to work. Uh, of course, we asked him again, how does he handle the criticism? Another reporter asked him that. I asked him that a couple of weeks ago, and he said he doesn't listen to it one bit. Doesn't take any, you know, he just wants to focus on his team. Of course, that's the answer we we're gonna get. But you have to think for Jeff Levy. It, it, it was it was it was probably okay to take a victory lap after the way that his offense really performed against West Virginia. You look at Dylan Gabriel, eight touchdowns, uh, set a school record by creating eight touchdowns. I think that was huge. Uh, but this offense, it's what you want to see going into the back end after the season. We'll have to see if Moeno can can continue. Yeah, you know, Brent Venables had a really interesting quote about that. For as much as as much trouble. Uh, Je- as Jeff Levy catches from the OU fan base, and at some points, rightfully so. You know, he is an OU alum, and he cares about the product that he puts out there. And so, you know, obviously, seeing that product escalate to the point of we just put up eight touchdowns, Dylan Gabriel being the only OU quarterback to accomplish that in in program history, eight touchdowns in a single game. You have to walk away from that feeling pretty good. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't cancel out the fact that. You know, there were some mistakes made earlier this season. They weren't good at situational football and those losses to Kansas State or to Kansas and Oklahoma State. And that's the same thing you got to focus on going into this one is you got to you got to execute situational football. You got to, you know, make it count on third down and fourth down, get those plays across and also not put yourself in third and longs, you know, you know, create um, third down, you know, distances that are that are regularly and consistently convertible uh hope you know hopefully they can you know continue to have the vertical passing game be there obviously it was back um against against west virginia and they also did a lot of good stuff in the in the catch and run drake stoops is you know 60 yard touchdown breaking all those tackles staying in bounds was was pretty remarkable and it's been good to see him you know emerge as the number one receiver uh, after andrew anthony's injury but they're going to need more of of what they they got from Nick Anderson in in that game against West Virginia. You know he he wasn't super super involved uh, against Kansas against Oklahoma State. He had a good get back on track game, and you know they're going to need more of that kind of stuff out of him uh, this week. And uh, it feels like Joel Farouk has been you know he's still doing good on kickoff returns, he's still doing some good stuff in in the blocking game, but it feels like he's been. Um, a, li- a little bit quieter uh, over the past couple weeks. You know, you'd like to see him emerge a little bit. I think the really good thing is is they finally figured out how to run the ball, Eric. They, mm-hmm. they finally have developed some running game consistency. Two straight games for Gavin Sawchuk over 100 yards. You know, he looks like the guy moving forward. Obviously, Tawi Walker has had some success, but uh, it feels like Gavin Sawchuk gives OU the best chance to run the ball effectively with consistency moving forward. He's the hot hand. They also got Austin Stogner more involved in this past game and, uh, you know, him catching his highest yardage total of the season and, and his first touchdown of the season. Can he continue to be a weapon for them? So the, this is an offense that 
hopefully we didn't just see like a one-week crescendo against West Virginia and now things are going to come back down to earth. There will be some attrition, right? You can't score eight touchdowns every game. But, you know, this is a group that you want to see continue to still have the rhythm this week against BYU that they had against West Virginia. Dylan Gabriel was pretty impressive just running the football. And we asked him about his running ability, and he, he, he I think he really thrives in that. I think he really enjoys running the football. Uh, and, it, and it just adds another dimension to this offense. I think it's really important for Jeff Levy to, you know, get do that and open things up while being smart enough to protect Dylan during the back half of the season. You mentioned Jalil Farouk. Uh, you know, I asked him not only about his receiving skills, but also kickoff returns. We were kind of joking after his uh, interview session, it was just me and him talking, and he really feels like he has uh, a long return in him. He said he was just tripped up, just shoestring caught last week. Uh, really had a good good uh, chance for a big return. Uh, if you do if you do see him, he, he's running with authority when he does uh, get a chance to return a kick. Now a lot of these kicks he has to fair catch or have to have to go in the back of the end zone. But when he does return one, he's running with authority, which is good good to see. Uh, Gavin Salchuk, you mentioned him. Uh, he was such he's still such a young player. This is really his first true complete year of playing, and you really had to get a feeling that you thought he would kind of. Uh, breakout like this and it's been pretty impressive to see uh and as well as austin stogger i mean if you told me he wouldn't get his first touchdown catch until get week 10 i would have never believed it knowing what his history was at oklahoma knowing how big that tight end position is for the oklahoma offense uh, i thought for sure he'd be just a, a red zone diamond dynamo and we haven't seen that so you, you wonder if you're an oklahoma fan if that's going to be the confidence builder that he needs not only for him but for dylan gabriel to trust him for for uh, Jeff Levy to, to trust him more, I think that's huge too. Um, a player I want to ask you about uh, we haven't talked about was Jacob Sexton. Uh, Jacob had to go in and play uh, tackle this past week and did it did a pretty good job. Uh, and uh, they're really high on him. I know that. And you talk about trying to be healthy again and play. What, what were your thoughts on Jacob? Yeah, I mean, obviously had that ACL injury. Uh, I think. A lot of people initially thought it was on like the first play, but I think it actually happened in warmups last year during the Cotton Bowl, if I remember what he said correctly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a slow climb back and, you know, he's, you know, potentially, we don't know the severity of Tyler Guyton's injury, but you know he's going to potentially be a starting tackle for the last, you know, the, the last quarter or third of the season here. And uh, another guy, that obviously has been really impressive, continues to grow more impressive by the week is Caden Green. I mean, he's he's named Oklahoma's first, I, I think, like first true freshman captain this week. Obviously, that's a, you know, a product of what the the cap, the weekly captain system that Brent Venables has, uh, you know, initiated in term uh, versus yearly captains. That's something that allows you to do. You get more people and you get someone like that that's, a freshman that's showing some leadership that you can put into a captain role um, as an example. But, you know, he's really finally locked it down at left guard. You know, there were in the middle parts of the season uh, and, you know, earlier in big 12 play, you know, there was some Troy Everett there, were, you know, Savion bird maybe still had some, but no, nah, it's like, it's for the past, you know, all of Bedlam came green played all the snaps and he played all, almost all the snaps last week. And, you know, it's, it's his his spot to lose, and so his um, emergence, his ability to move from tackle to guard so seamlessly, and you know, be an anchor for OU there, uh, a really young, you know, aggressive anchor with a lot of high upside. Uh, him and him and Sexton, you know, man in those spots together, 
you know, OU's offensive line really shouldn't miss a beat, uh, even with these, with these, you know, with the guidance injury and stuff like that. You know, you would think that getting their feet wet together last week would would just continue, and the success they had uh, against West Virginia would just continue to build more confidence for them moving forward. Let's switch to the defense side of things. Uh, Danny Sessman's back, <laughs> and that was big. Uh, he missed a game and a half when you think about it. Missed Bedlam. Uh, both all his coaches say he was extremely engaged, though, when he was on the sideline, you know, telling linebackers what he missed and what they missed and everything like that. What they, what are you seeing? Uh, he's such an emotional leader to this defense, uh, both on and off the field. I think that's pretty huge. And to have him back and, and to be honest, he's still, he's still wearing an elbow brace. He's got something for his neck. Now he has something for his leg. You wrap. He, he's, he's really playing through a lot of pain, but that just demonstrates the toughness of Danny. I've been impressed with him and you knew he wasn't going to miss the last half of the season more than he had to. Uh, so it was good to see him back. And, but you know what, his, his availability last week, uh, is shifting over to middle linebacker and allowing, uh, Kip Lewis to play more snaps. I think that's pretty huge because we've seen Kip Lewis. We talk about Gavin Stalchuk being a true young running back. Kip Lewis is even greener at linebacker, but man, his talent, uh, it, it's hard to keep him off the field. You know, three years ago, uh, Kip Lewis would have had to play out of necessity because Oklahoma just didn't have the players of his caliber. Well, they've allowed this, this, what Brent Venables is building has allowed him to grow and mature a little bit before really getting important reps. And I think that's been huge. But seeing Stutzman and Lewis out there at the same time, that's, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you got to be excited about the future of that position. Right. Linebacker just looks so much better than it did a year ago with the development of the younger guys in Brent Venable's system. And uh, you think about also, you know, Kobe McKenzie uh, has been really solid coming off the bench and, and providing some plus minutes at middle linebacker for for OU. You know, obviously now with Stutzman playing the Mike spot and Lewis playing Will, you know, Kobe may not have as many snaps uh, moving forward, but you know, he's still someone that they can use to spell Danny when they need to and give him a breather. And uh, Jaron Kanick also, you know, got some run in the West Virginia game. And, you know, obviously he struggled at times last year and has essentially lost the starting spot to Lewis. But, you know, he, he I think he had his best game of the season against West Virginia. He did some really good stuff in a reserve role. And, you know, he's still just learning the position and he's going to be, you know, down the road, he's still going to be an impact player linebacker for Oklahoma. Uh, some of the youngins at that position too, Lewis Carter and, and Samuel Masigo playing the cheetah spot. Uh, you know, Brent Venables talked about this week, those guys really made a name for themselves on special teams. And now they're getting more and more uh, opportunity, uh, you know, to play, to play with the defense, run with the ones and, 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 uh, you know, make impact plays uh, with the defense as well on game days. So the outlook of that position, you know, looks is completely flipped on its head from last year when it really felt like, you know, Danny and David Aguebu and Deshaun White were, were playing all the snaps and really didn't have any depth uh, behind them at all. So that's good to see. Uh, the thing that will be interesting to monitor this week is the defensive line still struggling to – to get sacks still, you know, didn't have a sack last week either. It's been a run of several games for them now. Uh, but, you know, Ethan Downs talked about they're, they're doing, they're doing enough, you know, they're still getting some pressure that's forcing, you know, bad throws and whatnot. Uh, you know, they're still, 
they're keeping quarterbacks from escaping on them. You know, Garrett Green was somebody that could potentially test you uh, with his legs that they faced last week with West Virginia. He didn't really get out and run on them. Uh, so, you know, maybe this is the week that things turn up for that that uh, that OU defensive line and, and, you know, they finally get a, another quarterback takedown. But, uh, you know, right now, I guess the least you can say is, you know, they're – and they've done this at other points in the season too. They're doing enough. They're not hurting you. And, and in some ways they are helping you, even if it's not directly translating to sacks. You mentioned about uh... – you know, forcing bad throws. Oklahoma with two more interceptions. Reggie Pearson and Jacoby Johnson with picks last week have 17 this season, which is the most in the nation, tied for the most with Liberty. Uh, and, you know, they're doing a lot of this without the play of Gentry Williams, who we didn't see play last week as well. Uh, Gentry, of course, has three interceptions. Billy Bowman leads the team with four. But I, I think the takeaways is huge. Uh, it, it's something that Oklahoma hadn't seen in years. Uh, and uh, they're being just real opportunistic on defense. Uh, you get more possessions for the offense. Just been impressed with the way this secondary is playing. Uh, you know, the strangest thing about that stat is Woody Washington does not have an interception this year. He's your all-time, your best quarter cornerback, your most veteran cornerback, and he doesn't have a pick this year, which is really, really strange about the 17. But that says a lot about Woody, too. Maybe they're not picking on Woody or trying to test Woody that much. Defenses are going away from Woody. So I know it's probably frustrating for him, but being a team player that he is, I know he's probably happy that that others are getting some limelight there too. So um, defense, you mentioned the defensive line. I think if they can continue to just to, just to pressure, you know, just just to stop the run game and and, and put pressure on the quarterbacks, uh, you know, force those quick throws. I think that's huge too. So defense is playing well. Uh, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you love to see more sacks from anybody. Uh, that that's something else too. So we'll see how they do against a, a BYU team that's that's pretty talented. Uh, we haven't really talked about special teams. Uh, Oklahoma, when we look, we you know Zach Schmidt was such a big topic after all the missed field goals during that one stretch. Um, he's only attempted four field goals in the last three games. He's two for three. Uh, so I, I just wonder, uh, is that faith coming back slowly for Brett Venables for Zach Schmidt? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I will say this. Luke Elzinga has been really impressive as a punter. It's just strange across the board, running back, wide receiver, punter. It's taken time for guys to really, really develop into the go-to guys at positions this year, a little longer than usual. So that's kind of been kind of been different to see, but maybe that's just being in the transfer portal era now. You really want to see what you have before you really go with what you got. Um, anything else football related before we get to basketball, Mason? No, I think we covered it pretty well. You know, I think we're excited to get out to Provo and, you know, see what that's like. Should be a, you know, a good game and obviously a must-have for OU to keep the Big 12 title hopes alive. Uh, let's go to basketball then. I'll ask you about at basketball. You know, Oklahoma, uh, three blowout wins so far. <laughs> Not even, you know, 30-point wins, at least 30-point wins. And they had a 93-54 uh, victory over Texas State. We're recording this on – Thursday. So on Friday, they play uh, Rio Grande Valley, Texas Rio Grande Valley in Lloyd Noble. Uh, the first true test comes next week on Thanksgiving Day when they play Iowa, which is going to be a pretty incredible game uh, just to really get a kind of a litmus test of where the Sooners really, really are when you play a talented team like Iowa. So, uh, but w- what are your early thoughts on what Porter Mosier is building in these first three, four games for the Sooners? Well, it looked really good. You know, last week they beat Mississippi Valley State by 39. And uh, Mississippi Valley State going into that game was quite literally the worst team in, like, 
the Ken Pomeroy uh, basketball ratings. They were like 130 something, just an awful, awful team. So there's not a lot you could ex- extract from that. But, you know, playing Texas State, uh, that's a team that's, you know, uh, a Sunbelt championship contender. Now, they were down some injured guys in that game. They didn't, their roster wasn't at full strength. So that allowed OU to, you know, take advantage probably a little bit and, you know, obviously beat them by 39 too. You know, not, don't want to give Texas State too much credit, but, you know, they're, they're like, I think the thing that you see is just the depth with OU is just so much better than it was last year, right? When you do think about that Mississippi Valley State game, um, actually, they were down. OU was down three scholarship players. He didn't have Jalen Moore, who had a hamstring injury. He's a starter. He didn't have Caden Cooper, standout freshman. He had an ankle sprain. He missed that game. And then, you know, they're trying not to play right now. They're trying to not play their other freshman, Jacob Cole. They want a redshirt him if they can. Uh, but obviously, college basketball is different than college football. You play one game as a true freshman, you're done for the season. So, yeah, looking at that game, what you did extract from that was that, oh, okay, they can be down three scholarship players. Last year, if that situation happens, they very well might lose that game to the worst team in college basketball. Like, you just never know. And then with Texas State playing a, a little bit, you know, better team, I think the thing you you got from it is, is you know, they this is a team that knows how to respond to adverse situations. They were in a situation early in the second half where – Texas State started to get some momentum. Uh, you know, OU makes a careless pass. It gets stolen, and Texas State gets an easy layup. And Porter Moser calls a timeout, and he is just livid. And at the point that that happened, you know, nobody really, like, spoke up or said anything he said, but he could just kind of see the just kind of the attitude of his team at that point was, okay, yeah, we messed this up. We know we got to fix this, and – we got to go put this team away. We can't allow them to hang around. At that point, you know, no no real danger. The deficit had only been cut to like 17 by that layup. But, you know, you still don't want to give teams like that a chance to hang around. So they came out, uh, you know, after a few back and forths, they put together a, uh, like an 18-4 to four run where they just completely dominated and put the game away. And, and you know, that's the kind of stuff that they're going to have to be able to do, especially in, in Big 12 play and against – some of the lesser teams in the Big 12, um, if they want to, you know, be a top, you know, six to eight team in the Big 12 and have a shot at the NCAA tournament is, uh, you know, you can't, once you, you know, get a lead, uh, you got to start fast. But once you get out to a run, you know, you have to put these teams away. You can't make careless mistakes like turning the ball over and stuff like that. So, I think they're right now, just as they're playing some of these lesser teams, they're learning a lot of, uh, you know, good lessons uh, that they they can hopefully carry forward. Um, Obviously from a personnel standpoint, you know, there's, there's some guys that are really impressive. JDM McCollum, he's the Sienna transfer. You know, he looks like the best player on the team. He didn't have a good night against Mississippi Valley state, but he was the leading scorer against Texas state came out and shot the ball a lot better. You know, he's going to be an impact player for this team all year. You know, Jalen Moore, Georgia Tech transfer, got a lot of bounce. He's thrown down some pretty ferocious dunks the first couple games. You know, he looks good. Uh, John Hughley, the Pittsburgh transfer, huge down low, uh, has been big for them on, on rebounding along with Sam Godwin, them two just locking down, dominating the paint. Uh, and then and then Latre Darkhard, you know, coming off the bench, 
he was like a all uh, uh, Western Conference uh, defensive player last year. Also a really good three point shooter. Um, so Porter Moser, you know, got some guys in the transfer portal that uh, have the potential, along with you know his two returning starters that he brought back, Miles Uzan and Otega Owe, who have developed and gotten a lot better and are really leading this team as sophomores. You pair them with the transfers Porter's brought in. And I think this is a team that's honestly really going to surprise a lot of people in the Big 12. Let's switch over to the women's team. 4-0 for the first time in the three years that Jenny Baranchek has been Oklahoma's coach. Uh, four pretty impressive wins, uh, especially against Ole Miss. 80-70 to going on the road to Oxford, playing a, a future SEC uh, school. Uh, number 12 Ole Miss, and a big win for the Sooners. We look at uh, Oral Roberts on Sunday. Peyton Vorholst, who leads the team, averaging 15.8 points and 5.5 rebounds, had 32 points against the Golden Eagles. That was a big, big game for her. Um, and then Skylar Van, uh, she's going to be the leader of this team this year. You know, she's the, the two-time sixth player of the year. She's starting this year, so she won't get that award this year, but she's the two-time sixth player of the year in the Big 12 Conference. Uh, scored her thousandth career point this past weekend. So that that's a huge accomplishment for the young lady who uh, who is the, the daughter of Bryant Van, the former Oklahoma basketball player. She's averaging 13 and a half and, uh, and all six rebounds, a team high six rebounds a game, or not team high. She's at six rebounds a game. But what impresses me about this offense is it, you know, a lot of new faces on this women's team, but everything stays the same. This is a team that shares the basketball so well. Uh, they're averaging 23 and a half assists a game in their first four games. They do such a good job of moving the basketball around. That's been impressive. Aubrey Jones is stepping up more and shooting, you know, she's kind of maybe that Taylor Robertson role. Uh, shooting three pointers, she's uh she's made fifty five percent of her three. She's made eleven threes, fifty five percent, which is pretty big time number. And then the player to watch is Sahara Williams, the freshman. Uh, you know she's she's just going to get better and better. She's at eleven and a team high six and a half rebounds a game, but she's just going to get better and better with reps, understanding the system more and everything too. So uh, just been really impressed with uh, what Jenny Branchek continues to grow at Oklahoma and what they're doing. Uh, they got a big game on Sunday at Virginia. Uh, we talk about, you know, these these litmus test games, and this is another one for Oklahoma. They already passed a big one at Ole Miss, and uh, Virginia's 2-0, and uh, plays well at home. I think this will be a big challenge for the Sooners, but it'll be a good challenge for the Sooners. I, I think if you're Jenny Bronchek, you really like seeing your team being tested early and, and seeing what you got. And, and these are your building blocks for the future. Sooners, number 25 in the AP poll. Uh, they weren't ranked in the preseason, but definitely moved their way up after the game against Ole Miss. Uh, well, Mason, I think we're, we're wrapping up here and, and get ready to, to go to Utah. I'm, I'm really excited. I've only been once in 2006. I covered the Oklahoma, uh, the Tulsa BYU game, uh, which it's a gorgeous facility. Uh, I re- the only thing that hurt me that day was there was a lightning delay midway through. We, we waited an hour for lightning to pass through, but it, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous stadium with the mountains in the background. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to, Mason, is seeing seeing the, the mountains. Uh, what about you? What, what are you excited about going to seeing at BYU? Yeah, just going to a new place, right? Never been to Utah before. Uh, and to your point of just seeing all that nature has to offer in that area. I mean, we see in Brent Venable's, uh, talked about it earlier this week, but you know that picture of the the snowy mountain backdrop and all the trees uh, behind BYU Stadium is just you know really really pretty. And Brent Venables was like that 
you know, he's there. I don't think he's ever seen it either. He was like in person. He was like, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. And so for, you know, a coach to notice that, I mean, obviously all the fans are noticing it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's a big component of, of what makes BYU so cool is just that scenery and that atmosphere. So just looking forward to taking in a game, uh, you know, right there uh, at that, at that spot. Just another reason why we really feel like we got the best job in the world some days, right? 100%. 100%. Well, everyone trips listening again to Mason and me. I'm sorry to cut you off there. What was it? Where were you going to add? Oh, I was just saying trips like that. Yeah. And they, they make it awesome. They're great. <laughs> Mason and me will be back after the BYU game for with the post game podcast. And then we'll be back next week to preview the Sooners final regular season game against TCU. As always, we appreciate you listening to this podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever platform you get your podcast from, uh, please add us to it. And you continue to read our work. We're writing stories every day. Uh, TulsaWorld.com. I had a fun story this week about a lady who caught a ball, uh, extra point from West Virginia, ran up 50 flights of stairs and threw it out of the stadium. Neat lady. If you get a chance, click on that story as well. Uh, but we'll continue to cover Oklahoma football pretty hard as we enter the tail end of this regular season, signing days coming up, and of course the bowl game. Thanks so much for listening. Everyone out there, have a good day.